Book of Acts, chapter number 27. We'll be reading in the, the, the end of the chapter and then the beginning of Acts, chapter number 28 tonight as well. I've enjoyed being with you these few days. I said this the other day, we're going to blink and it'll be over with. And now here we are. I was telling uh, my wife and Brother Joseph on the way up here, I said, this meeting has gone by so quickly. And I said, that's a blessing, though. I've been some places for three days, four days, and it felt like a month. That's not a good thing. And so I'm glad it's gone by quickly because that means it's been a good meeting. And I appreciate what God has done for us and God did last night in the meeting. It's good to hear about and see people getting saved and never take that for granted. Eternity was changed right here. Can you imagine that? And uh, by the way, they're still saved today and will be saved tomorrow and we'll see them in heaven one day. What a blessing that was. Thank you, preacher, for allowing me to come. I sure appreciate the uh, invitation. It always encourages me to come. Last year I was able to come and just with the staff guys and be online, but just watching you folks on that feed, commenting, amen, and things like that. I thought, I'd like to go back when the people are there. And now I wish I'd never have come. I'm kidding. I've enjoyed it. It's been great. And, uh, and always enjoyed, enjoyed the singing tonight by the staff men. And I said, I told Brother Asprelli, I said, you're about as good as Guy Pinrod. <laughs> if he grow a ponytail, I think he could sing with the Gaithers. And uh, that's the only thing holding him back is the ponytail. And so by this time next year, I expect at least a mullet, if not the whole ponytail. <laughs> And I'm sure he'll do it. Acts chapter number 27. If you're able to stand, stand with me. I want to read several verses. And it's good to have my wife with me. And her name is Desiree. And our little boy Lincoln is back terrorizing the other kids in the nursery. By now, he's probably chewed up at least half a wall of drywall and tore your carpet up. And he's like his mother. But he's back there. And you'll get to meet him after the service. And uh, Brother Evan Sprague has come with me every night. He's here in the second row, and his wife Sarah's with him tonight. And then one of his friends, a man he works with, is here, Brother Nardo, is correct? And your wife and children are here. Thank you for coming and being in the service tonight. And then Brother Joseph Motes is with me. He's in our Bible college. He is uh, from Atlanta, Georgia. It's okay. He's from Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, he's with me tonight. And uh, how old are you, Brother Joseph? 18 years old, and believe it or not, he's single ladies. And uh, the whole way up here, I didn't want to say it, but he begged me to. He said, if you don't say it, I'll never talk to you again. I mean, he just begged me to, to let you know he's available. And recently landed a very nice job at Safeway. And uh, he's a cashier there, so he can take you out for ice cream and things. And if you'd like his phone number, social security number, or if you want to get married tonight, he's available for all of those things. In the dark, he looks really good. All right, Acts chapter number 27, verse number 37. Is he still here? All right, stay right there, brother. I'll be nice to you. Appreciate him. Bible, some of these fellows said, I'm up for that too. I mean, I, I'll, anyway. All right, verse number 37. And we were in all in the ship, 203 score and 16 souls. I believe that's 276 individuals. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened. That's how you know no teenagers were on the boat. The Bible said they'd eaten enough. That never happens with teenagers. They lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea. And when it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with the shore into which they were minded, if it were possible, to thrust in the ship. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea and loosed the rudder bands and hoisted up the mainsail to the wind and made toward shore. And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion, by the way, you could put in parentheses there, but God, but the centurion willing to save Paul kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land. And the rest, someone boards and someone broke in pieces of the ship 
And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. Now, just to pause for a moment up to this point, these men, these soldiers and these prisoners have been on a boat for over two weeks. For much of that time, they've been wrapped up in a storm that's not just a storm like we've had today, but I'm talking about a severe storm. The wind was blowing, the sun was eclipsed by the clouds, the stars and the moon were hiding themselves due to the darkness. The boat had been tossed to and fro, they'd cast out the tackling, they'd cast all the wheat to the sea, they lifted up uh, their anchors and just hoped the wind would drive them. Now their boat has become stuck in the spot where two creeks or two seas met together. They got stuck in a sandbar. The boat gets broken by the violence of the waves. Now these men who are weary and weathered and tired and no doubt scared have to swim. They get in the water and the Bible says some of them float on broken pieces of the ship. Some of them swim, but they all make it safe to land. Verse number one, the Bible said when they were escaped, they knew that the island was called Melita and the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. Now I'm going to stop there. I'm not going to preach on that verse, that famous, if you ever preach and go to a camp meeting, you've heard it, where that snake bites Paul's hand and he shakes it off and the preacher will preach on shake it off, you know, and he'll run the list, shake it off. I was preaching in a meeting one time and didn't know it, but the preacher had a rubber snake shoved in the pulpit, and he was preaching that message. And he had a rubber band wrapped around the head of that snake, and while he was preaching, he said, and Paul got bit by a snake. And he took his finger, shoved it in, and got that snake hooked to his finger, and whipped it over the pulpit, and the men screamed more than the women did. <laughs> you see, well, that wouldn't scare me. It would if you were from where I'm from, and they bring real ones to church. But anyway, I'm not going to preach on that. <laughs> Maybe we ought to do that tonight, wake some of y'all up. Paul has just been in the same storm as these other fellas. 276 people, 275 of them, as far as I can tell from the text, laying there on the beach, worn out, tired, kind of wrapped up in themselves. Paul, though, the Bible says, when they get to this island, the Bible said in verse number two that these barbarous people kindled a fire. They built a fire. In verse number three, it says Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks. Now, I'm not the smartest person here, but why do you put sticks on a fire? What's it do? It keeps it burning. Paul had been through the same uh, storm they'd been through. He'd been through the same circumstance they'd been through. But according to the Bible, as far as I can tell, only one out of that crowd was up gathering sticks to put them on that fire. Paul understood that if that fire was going to keep burning, he's going to have to be proactive about it. He couldn't depend on someone else to keep the fire burning. He had to take action and make sure that he did what he could to keep that fire burning. Now, I thank God for meetings, and I thank God for the spirit of meetings, but you're not going to live in this every day of your life. There has to come a point where you and I don't have to have a good special or hear a good sermon or get a handshake or an attaboy, but we just have enough truth down inside of us, enough walk with God on our own, that we can keep that fire stirred up all the time. I'll travel to churches and they say, Brother Cooper's here. I hope he can get us on fire. That's not my job. And it's not your job to make sure I'm on fire. But I believe each of us who are saved ought to make sure we keep ourselves on fire. For a little while tonight, I want to preach on this thought just to close out our time together. The fire is your responsibility. The fire is your responsibility. Because I guarantee you, as soon as we get through tonight and go in tomorrow, there's going to be something pop up that's going to try to take it from you. 
And you're going to have to get proactive. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for power. I pray for wisdom. I pray for clarity to preach tonight. Pray to speak to us about this. Help this church, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe there's no greater life to live than living the life of a born-again child of God. Like the song says, I'd rather be an old-time Christian than anything I know. I'm glad to be a child of the King, a joint heir with Christ, a mansion on streets of gold. I'm glad to be saved and to know it. There's no better life, no more blessed life than living a life as a Christian. But while there's no better life than that, the Christian life is not a life without trials, tribulations, and storms. There's plenty of things that pop in and out of the Christian life that if you allow them to, they will rob you of your fire for God. Now let me stop and say, I like I like it when things are on fire. I like that. I don't want to go to church and it be dead, do you? I don't want to hear cold preaching. I don't like to hear cold singing. I like it when it's on fire. But you're crazy if you think I just get out of the bed in the morning and say, Woo! Hallelujah! God's good! No! I have to cultivate this in my life. I have to get myself stirred up. I have to guard that fire in my own life. There's plenty of things that can rob you of your fire for God by way of introduction. The devil will try to steal your fire for God. As much as there's a real God in heaven who loves you, there's a devil out of hell who hates your guts. And he wants to destroy your life and shipwreck your Christianity and make you a mockery uh, to this world. If you allow him to, the devil will crawl up on your shoulder, whisper in your ear, have you mad at everybody? Have you bitter at everybody? Have you gossiping about everybody? And before you know it, you're not saying amen. You're not even smiling. You barely attend church. Why? You let him take your fire for God. Not just the devil, the world we live in can rob your fire for God. I don't know about you, but every time I watch the news, I get more depressed than I was before I started. I mean, you turn on your television and it's all bad, isn't it? I mean, even if it's a commercial, it's something about losing weight. I mean, everything is negative. You watch and the economy's up, but it's going to go down. Gas prices are down, but they're about to go up. There's wars and rumors of wars. So-and-so cheated and won this. So-and-so's corrupt and did that. Everything's negative. Murder and rape and horrible things going on. And just the atmosphere that we live in can rob you of your fire. I found out this. Other Christians can rob you. So you're doing it to me right now. Other Christians can rob you of your fire. It's amazing. You get around somebody who's one of those used to or once did, and now they're backslidden as a billy goat. And I tell you, they're just going to get negative about everything. They talk bad about the preacher. They talk bad about the church. They talk bad about, uh, about Jesus if, if they didn't think they'd get in trouble for it. I mean, they're just negative about everything. The only thing they're positive about is that life is bad. And I mean, you get around them, and next thing you know, you're out. I don't know. People People who used to be faithful and quit on God, they can rob you of your fire. Boy, I believe there's a lot of Christians who aren't in church tonight because they put too much faith in a man instead of the Lord. And they looked up and put a man, they made an idol out of one that could have been a hero, but they turned him into an idol. And when that man fell, it shook their faith in God, and now they're nowhere to be found. And all I'm saying is there's a myriad of things. It can be finances, it can be family, physical health, emotions. But if you allow them to, those things can creep in and rob you of your fire for God. Can I say that this generation doesn't need another dead church. Doesn't need a bunch of cold Christians. But I believe that our generation needs to see some Christians that believe the Bible, that really believe God is on His throne, have a little bit of a zeal in their Christian life, and are on fire for God. Now, I love the Apostle Paul. He's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Maybe because I can 
I don't know. I sort of feel like I fit the bill when it comes to Paul. Paul is a, is a man, when you first find him in the scripture, he's not a preacher, not even a nice man. I would say he's a rude dude in a crude mood. I mean, Saul of Tarsus is his name. Saul of Tarsus is a murderous man. He's a hateful man. He's a man who lived for self. He's an employee of the Roman government. He's going from town to town, imprisoning Christians, shutting down churches, sentencing them to death. When Stephen was stoned to death, Paul stood there, held the coats of those that were throwing the rocks at Stephen, and said amen as they killed that spirit-filled individual. Paul or Saul was an evil man. But one day on the road to Damascus, his life was changed for eternity. You know the story in Acts chapter 9. Saul was going to persecute Christians, but on the road to Damascus, he had a head-on collision with the grace of God. He ran into the Lord on the road to Damascus. All of a sudden, Saul meets Jesus. He falls down a persecutor, rises up a preacher. He falls down a hateful man, rises up a loving man. He goes down hating the church. He rises up going out to plant more churches. He went down trying to snuff out the gospel light, and now he's preaching the gospel to anybody that would listen. You see, what happened in his life? i tell you what happened. He got born again. He got saved by the grace of God. And when I read his story, I feel like I've been there, done that, and got the T-shirt. Now, in our text chapter, chapter 27 and 28, Paul's on a boat. Paul's headed to Rome. Paul has appealed unto Caesar, and now unto Caesar he's going. Now, Paul is on this ship as a prisoner. For the first leg of the journey, the Bible says they had fairly calm sailing. They go to a harbor for a season, and as they're there in that harbor, they're outside of Crete, in verse 13 of chapter 27, the Bible said they watched the weather. By the way, you never make a good decision when you depend upon the weatherman. And when the south wind blew softly, it says, supposing, that word supposing they had obtained their purpose, loosing this, they sailed close by Crete. So they're on this big boat as prisoners, and they put themselves in harbor. Everything's fine. They look at the weather, and they check it. Red at night, sailor's delight, they think. You know, they put their finger to the wind, and it looks good to me. They check the seven-day outlook on their iPhone there, you know. But anyway, they check the weather, and it looks good. They suppose. Let me say this. You always make a bad decision when you make a decision on emotion and not principle. And that's what they did. They wet their finger to the wind. Never let your, wet your finger to the wind of emotions. You'll always make the wrong decision when you make a decision based on emotions and not based on Bible principle and the will of God for your life. They set sail and loosed from that harbor. No sooner had they loosed from that safe haven than a storm rises on the sea. Picture it with me. That boat begins to get taught. Now I'm carnal. You pray for I see Gilligan's Island intro every time. But that tiny ship is tossed. That boat is shaken upon the waters. Can you see it in your mind? All of a sudden, that that wind begins to blow. That lightning begins to flash. The thunder is rolling. The white caps are forming. That boat is bludgeoned by the water. It's tossed back and forth in the sea. The men are scared to death. They're so nervous. They can't eat a thing. That's how we know. I'll say it again. There were no teenagers on the boat. Nobody's eating a thing. Maybe no Baptist either. But anyway, they're not eating a thing. They take the tackling of the ship and throw it overboard so that they won't sink. They lift up their anchors and they're just hoping that by some way they can make it to land. Now they're in the midst of a storm, but I like it. The Bible said Paul testified through that night, 
While the others were tossed in the storm, Paul had one standing by him in the midst of the storm. The angel of the Lord stood with him there and said, Paul, don't you worry. The ship might be destroyed, but I'm going to keep you safe in the storm. Aren't you glad that you and I as Christians have a presence that's with us in the trials of life? This lost world doesn't know anything about it. They can't relate to it, but I'm glad you and I have one who's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I'm glad he's always present. He'll never leave us nor forsake us in the funeral home, the hospital, ups and downs. Jesus is always there. Paul goes to those fellas, 275 of them on the boat. Those soldiers are thinking, let's just kill these men. They're prisoners anyways. Let's just kill them now. Paul goes to one of his guards, a centurion, and says, listen, there stood by me this night the angel of the Lord, whose I am and whom I serve. And he said, don't you worry, we're going to make it safe to land, though the ship is going to be destroyed. Paul said, go ahead and eat, fellas. It's going to be okay. They're tossed in that storm for two weeks. Now think about it. Two weeks, not seeing the sun. Two weeks, not seeing the stars. Two weeks, not seeing the moon. Two weeks, beat by the wind, beat by the waves, shaken by the breeze. I mean, two weeks on that boat thinking they're going to die. I'd say they probably didn't feel like it. I'd say they probably weren't having the best time. I'd say they wouldn't have chosen that circumstance if they could have gotten out of it. They're weary, they're warm, they're tired, they're nervous, they're scared. Suddenly they see a spot where two seas meet together. They make the decision to try to run the ship aground. Picture it in your mind. They take that ship and angle it where those two seas meet together. As they sail toward that, no doubt a sandbar under the surface of the water catches the bottom of that boat. The boat sticks fast in that sandbar. The back part is now exposed. The wind begins to blow and the waves begin to bludgeon and that wood begins to creak as it soaks up that water. And after some time, that pressure provided by the elements breaks that wood and that boat busts into hundreds of pieces. All those men all of a sudden have to think either sink or swim. They jump off the broken ship. Some grab onto pieces of the boat and float. Some men swim. There's an island off in the distance. They begin to make it toward that island. Now think about it. These men haven't had anything to eat in about two weeks. They haven't seen the sun in two weeks. They felt the wind constantly for two weeks, been tossed at sea for two weeks, and now they have to swim to an island. I'd say they're tired. I'd say they're weary. I'd say they're worn out. I'd say they'd like to just give in, and here they go toward that island. I can see it as they swim. They make it to that island. I'm thinking about this time. They beach out like Baptists in a padded pew. And they sprawl out all over the sand. Can you imagine how weary they are? They've been through a storm. How tired they are? They've been through a storm. How wrecked they are? They've been through a storm. And here they are lying on that seashore, on that beach there on the seashore. They're stretched out. They're there. There's some barbarous people there. It's an island inhabited solely by mother-in-laws. There they are, barbarous people everywhere. And there's a, you all right? Everybody all right? Some of you men are scared. Your mother-in-law doesn't even live here. Anyway, that's pitiful. That really is. B.R. Lincoln said, some of you men are so henpecked, you roost at the foot of your bed every night. Anyway, there's that little island, that little fire there on that island. Those men are hovering around that trying to stay warm. They need that fire. If they don't have that fire, they're going to die. If they don't have that fire, they're going to give out. That fire is their hope. That fire is a necessity. Now listen, 
One of those men isn't laying in the sand. One of those men isn't there warming himself by the fire. One of those men, he's been through the same storm, the same circumstance, the same trial, the same trouble, but he's not lying there on the beach. What's he doing? There's an old man over there, got a crooked nose and squinty eyes, not much to look at, kind of bent over and wrinkled. He's over there picking up sticks. Now, if I could have gone there, I'd like to interview that fellow. And I'd walk up to him and say, hey, sir, what's your name? He'd say, my name is Paul. I'd say, Paul, how you been? Well, not that good. I've been through a storm for about two weeks. Really, what was it like? Not too good. Uh, I was tossed to and fro. We didn't see the sun or the moon or the stars. We had to throw the tackling out. Hadn't had much to eat. Well, Paul, what are you doing? I'm picking up sticks. Well, could you stop a second? No, I can't stop. I've got to get a stick and lay it on the fire. He'd walk over there and grab a stick, come back and lay it on the fire. I'd try to catch him and say, slow down. I can't slow down. He'd go pick another stick, bring it back, lay it on the fire. Just give me a second. I don't have time to give you a second. I gotta keep that fire burning. He get another stick and lay it on the fire. But don't you, aren't you tired? Yes, I'm tired. Aren't you weary? Yes, I'm weary. But those men need that fire to stay burning. I can't slow down. I can't stop that fire. Can't go out and over and a snake bit his hand. He said, Ain't nobody got time for that. And shook it off. And he goes back and he gets another stick, comes back, lays it on the fire. Why? Because those other souls depended on that fire to stay burning on that island. Now, listen. Listen, here's what I'm preaching tonight. It is not time for you and I to get cold on God. There is somebody out there that needs you to stay on fire. There's somebody out there that needs you to stay faithful. There's somebody out there that needs you to stay fervent. I know it's hard. I know we get weary. I know sometimes it's tough. But can I say the fire can't go out? They say, Brother Cooper, I like your fire. Well, I'd like it if you got some. I mean, I think we all ought to be that way. I like it when it's on fire. I like church on fire. I like preaching on fire. But listen, it doesn't just happen because we show up and flip the switch. You've got to cultivate that in your own heart. If I waited until I got to church to get stirred up, I'd be as depressed as some of you. You've got to go to the average independent Baptist church. You'll need pills. I go to these churches and they want me to come in for a, a meeting and I'm glad it hadn't been like that this week. And if it's like it next week, I'm going to tell Brother Becker, I said, you've got to go down anyway. I... But I walk in there and say, Brother Cooper, I'll pull in the parking lot. 7 o'clock, church starts at 7 o'clock. You say, why do you get there so late? Because if not, a weirdo will catch me and want to talk for 30 minutes. But anyway, you get there running down for church. It's amazing what you can say when you're not preaching at your own place and you're somewhere else. I'm just being honest here. But anyway, but you get there and you're the first, you're the guest preacher and the only person in the parking lot. Woo, that'll get you stirred up. Maybe Pentecost will happen again tonight. 7.05, the preacher rolls in and says, hey, what you doing here? Well, we had church five minutes ago, or supposed to. And he unlocks the door and turns the lights on. You walk in, and or here's even better when I've showed up at some churches before, and they say, wait a minute, is that meeting this week? Yeah, it's this week. You walk in church, and folks come walking in, they sing victory in Jesus like they never even won a game of chess. They sit there, in the, and you're up there on the platform looking out at the average individual. Here's sister so-and-so. She's on her Pinterest. All oh, the conviction just got thick in here. I mean, you're on the platform during the singing, and there's brother so-and-so. He's checking the football score for his fantasy league. Or you hear that infamous, and sister, what's her name, has her, back, her leg up on the back of the pew back there clipping her toenails. <laughs> now I'm sitting up here on the platform thinking they want me to be a blessing to them. And then they say, anybody want to sing tonight? Come on, doesn't anybody have a song? 
Surely somebody wants to, or, or they'll say, how about somebody gives a word for the Lord, a testimony? Oh, I hate those. Do you know a testimony time is not time for you to tell us how bad it is? Somebody say, I just want to say, hey, who wants to brag on Jesus? I do, Pastor. All right, go ahead. Pray for me. I got this rash down the right side of my body. I'm like, oh, we just had handshaking time. And that person shook my hand. <laughs> they come in like their kitty cat got backed over by a Mack truck, you know. And then the preacher said, we got to have a special song. Anybody got a song on your heart? And he begs them. Nobody does. Anybody want to sing tonight? I'm telling you, this is reality most places. And then finally, somebody stands up with a three-ring binder this thick full of sheet music. Well, I didn't plan to sing. (laughs) Got a CD case under this arm. (laughs) I really didn't expect to be called on tonight, but I'll... And they take 20 minutes to go back to the sound booth. It's track number 17. Hand their CD to them. Take 20 minutes to walk up to the front. Take their three-ring binder. Now, don't you listen to how I sing it. You listen to the words. No, 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 no. We're going to listen to how you sing it. And if you can't sing, don't you volunteer. Say amen right there. There's a reason why I don't sing. There's a reason why you ought not sing if you're going to have to say that. Nobody's that spiritual. We're going to listen to how you sing it. All right, go ahead and hit play. No, that ain't it either. Maybe try 15. That's it. They get halfway through the first verse and miss the words. They start that again. I want to say, when I get in my message and I hit a stump or something, I'm going to start the whole thing again. Then all of a sudden they start singing, there's a long black train coming down the line. Country music. Y'all like, what in the world is this? The preacher will look at me say, now, Brother Cooper, you come be a blessing to us. I'll go, huh. I want to go to the house. So here's what you have to do. You have to have enough on the inside that keeps you that way. Because you can't depend upon the outside to get you that way. We have to graduate to grown-up Christianity where we don't have to get a cookie or an extra star on our paper because we did good that day to serve Jesus. But we have enough truth on the inside to stir us up and keep us on the top side. Hey, listen, don't discourage your encourager. I I want you to encourage me, and I want to encourage you as well. But I can't feed off of you. You might come in and have a bad day. I don't know. Maybe she's been hard on you all day. I don't know that if she has... Has she been pretty bad? No, she has. She's, she's been, I can't depend on that. She's been mean to him all day. I mean, I can't do that. You can't depend on me. I might come in and have a bad day. Joseph came the whole way here. He's talking about eHarmony and FarmersOnly.com. Want me to hook him up with a girl in Manteca? And I thought, man, I don't know. I don't know, brother. I said, we'll see. I forget his screen name. It was something like uh, uh, Chubby Cheeks 403 or so. I can't remember. Desperate Desperado 45. He'll never come back. So I have to get some things that get me that way. Let me give you a few things. Now, listen, this is a shotgun message. Let me give you a couple things that keep me where I need to be when I go to preach or when I'm trying to serve the Lord. Because, listen, I'll be honest with you, not every day do I feel like it. With 10 months, 11 months now of COVID, I have not always felt like it. In fact, I've not even felt half spiritual some weeks. I don't care how spiritual you think you are. You take yourself out of church for a number of weeks and then out of fellowship for a number of weeks, you get in some deep, dark places. I don't want to read my Bible, don't want to pray, don't feel like soul winning, can't do it if I wanted to, because if I'm going to, I'm going to get put in prison next to the fellow who murdered 30 people. So what do you have to do? you got to get some truth on the inside that just keeps you stirred up. So what do I do? When I need to grab a stick and put it on my fire, I'll tell you the first stick I go to is the fact that I'm saved and not going to hell. (laughs) 
I don't know about you, but I don't care if the singing's bad or not. I don't care if people don't smile or not. When I start thinking about the fact that I'm not going to hell, I've been saved by the grace of God, it kind of gets me a little bit stirred up. And I understand we have bad days, and I understand we have to have hard times. I understand there's sorrow, and I understand that. But listen, we have all of heaven to look forward to. It ought to stir you up that you're saved. I was talking today to a friend of mine in another state, and their father passed away just today. A good friend of mine, I didn't tell you this, Gary, Gary Barnes passed away today. And I and I just sent a message. I'm praying for your family. And I said, what a happy meeting in heaven someday. Thank God we're saved. It's not goodbye. It's see you later for a Christian. I think about that, man. I go to some churches and they say, man, we want to have revival. And it looks like they want to have riot, not revival. I mean, they're fighting with each other. Everybody's in a bad mood. Everybody's bitter. I don't care. I'm going to have fun anyway. If I have to drag Lady Liberty in there by the hair, I'm going to have some liberty in preaching. Here's what I do. I think about the fact that I'm saved by the grace of God. I'll never see hell, never touch hell, never taste hell, never smell hell, never experience hell. Why? One day I got born again. I got washed in the blood. I have a mansion. Listen, if I were you, I'd be dead too. Yeah, I wouldn't be happy at all. No, calm down. It's not like you're going to live as long as God does. Now don't smile about that or anything. It's pretty negative. Not like your name's written in the book of life. Right now, Every once in a while, the saints ain't got to take a lap around that book of life. One of your relatives already up there looks at your name and sees it and goes, Woo! And runs another lap. Yeah, but if I were you, I'd just be, it's not like going to get the gates of pearl and a crystal sea. It's not like all your sins, past, present, and future, have already been forgiven. You see, what keeps you, the fact that I'm not going to hell keeps me kind of stirred up. Not only that, I tell you what else keeps me stirred up, the fact that there are people when I preach that are headed to hell that need to get saved. The fact that there are souls that have not yet been saved keeps me stirred up. Can I say there's never an all right time for you not to get cold on God because there's always somebody in our pathway who's lost. And they don't need another dead, cold Christian. They need someone who's got a little fire burning on the inside of them. A few years ago now, I was preaching down in Waycross, Georgia for a good friend of mine. And it was on New Year's Eve. And she was, she was very pregnant with Lincoln. So that was a few years ago now. And we're getting, or I'm getting old. And that was a few years ago. But anyway, uh, she was pregnant. And I was by myself in a hotel room on uh, New Year's Eve. I was preaching in the Okefenokee Swamp. If you've ever been to the Okefenokee Swamp, it's because you're either in the mafia or you're about to get killed by them. In the Okefenokee Swamp, they have mosquitoes bigger than chihuahuas. You know, it's just a rough place. You could bury a body out there. They'll never find it. I was going to preach out there, but I was in a hotel room by myself on New Year's Eve. I got so depressed. She was at home uh, and pregnant, about to give birth just a couple months down the road. We've been praying for a baby for a long time. And I was in that hotel room, and I sat there and thought, 9 o'clock at night, and I'm already in bed. I'm a party animal. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, what an idiot. You should be at home with your family. You've come all the way down here to preach in a little center block building in the middle of a swamp to 30 bus kids, and that's what it was. It was a bus kids teen revival. I went there and preached the first night, and they stared at me like I had five eyeballs. It's like they did not speak hillbilly. I spoke to them and they just stared at me. I got in that truck and I drove home and I remember I called her, drove back to the hotel room. And I said, I think, I'm, I think I've missed it. I think it's time to quit this. This traveling out and preaching every once in a while, there's no point in this. I'm not going to do this. You know, she said, you might just want to think about it. I hate when they do that. But anyway, she, you might just want to think about it for a minute. I went back the next Morning, and I was so in the flesh, man. I preached, and nobody moved. Nobody said amen. Nobody even burped for Jesus. They were just sitting there staring at me. I went back that night, and I preached on hell. You say, why? Because I was mad at them. <laughs> <laughs> if they weren't going to go, I was going to put them through it. Say amen right there. But anyway, 
So I went there and I preached on hell as hard as I could. I mean, I preached hell hard. I put things in hell that aren't even in there, but they ought to be. And I mean, I just was preaching. I'm talking about just preaching against everything from baseball cards to house cats, everything preached on hell. Nobody moved. I thought, this is not worth it. Man, I got discouraged. I got depressed. I went back to the hotel room and told her how bad, how bad it was and how much God had missed it, how people, people just don't know when they hear good preaching. I still believe that some days, but anyway... I went back the next morning, and the youth pastor met me in the parking lot. He said, Brother Cooper, I wanted to catch you before you got inside. He said, I want to tell you this. I was in the cabin last night, and I couldn't sleep. And he said, I got pastor, and he named the pastor. And he said, I told him that I wasn't saved, the youth pastor. He said, I've been telling these kids they can know that they're saved, and I don't even know that I'm saved. He said, last night in my cabin, after you preached on hell, he said, I got saved last night. I wanted to tell you. I said, would you mind telling that in the meeting this morning? He said, I'll tell it. He got up there and gave his testimony. And seven of those kids all stood up at the same time and said, we want to get saved. And they all came forward and got saved. I think by the end of that meeting, there was nine or so, ten of them that got saved. I got in that truck and drove down that, I think it was like a five-mile road of sand, passing the alligators and the mosquitoes and the corpses. And I was driving back to reality. And I called her when I got cell phone signal. And I said, what? She said, what's wrong with you? I said, nothing. I said, forget everything I said yesterday and the day before that. And the day before that, use that selective here and you use it at the house. I said, I don't remember any of that. Hey, hey, so-and-so got saved and then nine more of them got saved. I said, I'm in this thing. Now, I'll tell you what happened. When I saw somebody get saved, it stirred me up. And I want to remind you, you say, I'm feeling cold. I'm feeling down. I'm feeling, I, I feel a bit distant. i tell you what you ought to do. Quit worrying about yourself. Think about somebody else's soul. Get a gospel track. Get a bird and pray a minute. Get the power of God and go up there and tell someone, Jesus saves, it'll stir you up. What keeps my fire burning? The fact that I'm saved. Number two, the fact that other folks need to get saved. And then lastly, here it is. What keeps my fire burning? The fact that one of these days I'll finish my course. One of these days I'll preach the last sermon. I'll sing my last song. Shake my last hand, smile at my last person in church. It'll be over with. I don't want my last one to be a dead one. I don't want my last service to be a cold one. I can't control you, but I can control me. And I don't want to go out that way. There are people right now probably in your church sitting at home that wish they could be here, but they can't. Shut in, disabled, not, a, not, not possible. Boy, I bet you if they could take your spot, they wouldn't sit there dead. Boy, they wouldn't sit there cold. They'd be getting any, all of it that they could out of this surface. I was preaching for a preacher. He would, <clears throat> he's actually, he's in heaven now. He was about 100 years old when I preached for him back then. I'd preach about these different Bible stories. Said, That's not how it happened. But anyway, he was there. But we were, I was preaching for him, and he said, Brother Cooper, let me give you an advice. He said, don't waste it while you got it. He said, I'll tell you what I wish. I wish I could go back and get some of those years back. He said, not that he missed out, but he said, just give it more. Just put more into it. Use it while you got it. When my grandma was still alive, I preached her funeral. She's in heaven now, but my wife was staying with them because she was dying of cancer. My grandpa had dementia, and I'd call home or call to check in and talk to her, and sometimes my grandma talked to me, and she said, where are you at tonight? And I'd say, I'm in so-and-so. And she'd say, well, we're praying for you. And she'd say something like this, make sure you preach the Bible. She's in heaven tonight. But I guarantee you that if I could hear her voice, she'd still be saying, hey, you preach the Bible. You preach the Bible. One of these days, you're not going to have the option. You're going to wish you could, but the time will be passed. Why do I stay on fire for God? Because I don't know when this thing's going to be over with. I want to give it all I got while I've got the opportunity. I remember coming home. I got the phone call. My grandpa, my grandma, that grandma that I mentioned is about to pass away with cancer. She had a tumor in her brain, and the tumor got so big that it destroyed her optic nerves, and she couldn't see. She went blind. But she'd never pray for other people. I'd always hear her. She'd always be praying for 
or I mean, never prayed for herself. She's always praying for other people. She'd ask us to read the prayer sheet from her church to her so she'd know who to pray for. I remember we got home and hospice had left her back in the back bedroom there. My grandpa was sitting out in the living room and Papa had dementia. And he never called me by my first name. He'd always call me preacher. We'd go different places and man, he didn't know any better. He just says, he'd, he'd say, this is my, my grandson. He preaches all over the world, which wasn't true, but I liked it. And he'd say, he's, he's bigger than Billy Graham. I didn't like that. But anyway, he just tells, <clears throat> and he was sitting out there. He'd always watch the Western Channel. He'd always watch the same ones because he couldn't remember. So if somebody gets shot and he'd act like he'd never seen it before. And we just saw it yesterday. We'd all act surprised. I walked in his living room and he couldn't hear very well. And he'd have that thing turned up real loud. It sounded like people were literally getting shot in the house. I walked in and said, Papa, how you doing? He said, fine. I said, or he said, he said, your, your grandmother's in the back getting ready. He didn't know what was going on. He said, taking forever. Go back there and check on her. So I said, I'll go back there and check on her. I walked back in that bedroom down the end of the hallway. My mom was in there and her sister and her brothers. And then my grandma was laid out in that hospice bed, just probably weighed about 80 pounds, just skin and bones, basically, dying. They'd taken the ventilator off. We stood back there and just kind of stared at her. And all of a sudden, I heard those feet shuffle down the hallway. You know, if you know anybody with dementia, how sometimes they'll shuffle their feet. And he shuffled down the hallway. Papa did. And I'd heard people say this, but I'd never believed it till I saw it happen. It was like God gave him his mind back when he came in that room for a minute. He'd been a preacher, had to quit once his dementia kicked in. And he walked into that room and it was like he was a preacher again. And he looked around at us and looked at Mamaw there laying. And he took his hand, remember his hand was shaking like this and had dark bruises on the back of it from his medicine. And he took his hand and pushed her hair. Her hair was white as my shirt, pushed it back on her forehead. And he leaned over and kissed her on the forehead. If she'd have lived one more week, they would have been married 60 years. He kissed her on the forehead and said, honey, I can tell you don't feel very good. He looked at her body and said, it's okay if you want to go home without me. He said, because I know if I don't see you in the morning, I'll meet you on the shores of glory. He looked over at me and said, preacher, would you say something? I didn't know what to say. So we just started singing. There'll be no sorrow there. No more burdens to bear. No more sickness, no pain. No more parting over there. We all started singing, what a day that'll be when my Jesus I shall see. As we sang that, Mamaw got to see him face to face. She's in heaven. Papaw now is too. I preached his funeral. I guarantee it that they're looking over the banister in glory. If that's bad theology, I don't know. But I believe they, they can see us. And they're still saying, hey, you, you stay strong. You finish with fire. Don't you quit. Tonight, I want to tell you this. There's someone depending on your fire for God. There is no time that's an okay time to get cold. You say, I don't feel like it. None of us do all the time. So what do you do? You got to dig down deep and think I'm saved. There's other people that need to get saved. One of these days I'll finish my course and I want to finish it with joy. When I see Jesus face to face, I want to hear him say, well done. Church, listen, thank God for a good meeting. But you got to continue the spirit of this meeting on into the days ahead. You keep the fire burning. It's your responsibility.